It's June the 3rd, 2014, and this is the audio podcast episode 117, Beaten by Apples. Hello, I'm Samuel Freeman, that was Scott Hewitt, Adam Yanch is here also, it's the usual gubbins with lots of apple this week. Mmm, tasty, tasty apples. Remember, an apple a day keeps uh, the doctor in the house. Yeah, um, (laughs) that kind of went a bit awry. Remember, of course, um, you can consume the audio podcast in a number of ways. Uh, I think my favourite is probably through the iTunes feed, but that's because that's what I've done for ages. So you can subscribe on iTunes, Gpod and Stitcher. You can also see the video version of most of the shows on YouTube, and that's how we actually create the whole thing. And, of course, don't forget, you can contact us, uh, show at theaudiopodcast.co.uk, Twitter at theaudiopodcast, and those are the main ones. So I think we should get started. Excellent stuff. So there, there's a lot of, um, if you're not interested in Apple, then um, there's a lot of Apple this week because it's obviously where WWDC is on right now. It started, the opening keynote was yesterday. So I think everybody else has rightfully decided there's no point in putting any press releases out this week because... There's nothing really. To, there's not a lot to say. So we have a couple of special offers and a couple of little, a couple of offers, a couple of little promos. But most of it's Apple. Um, yep. For people who follow the show notes, we're gonna. It's quite likely we're gonna run the wrong way through the show notes. We're gonna go from the bottom of the news up, just because we, we, you know, that's just because it makes more sense to talk about the Apple stories as they came out rather than traveling backwards through Apple history. Indeed. But what is... Where, where can we find these notes, Scott? Where can we find that them? That is true. Well, Adam, if you wanted to follow the show notes, you could go to the audiopodcast.co.uk slash show slash 117. 117. Okay, so our reverse uh, d- directional news flow begins now with the confirmation of the story that Apple has acquired Beats Headphones. We here on the audio podcast called that perfectly wrong. Well, I I was I was like, yeah, it'll happen. But I I had nothing to go on apart from hearing it and I was just like, yeah. Let's go for it. So I think you had more of a reason to say that you didn't think it was going to happen though, Scott, didn't you? Well, I just wasn't I I'm st- I'm still actually of the opinion that it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, apart from the fact that actually somebody did point out to me after after the after the show and I spoke out when, when I said about that, somebody did point out to me that the price is actually incredibly cheap for, mm. for that kind of business. Despite it being reported as the largest sale of its kind. <laughs> yes, yeah, and I, also um, I saw a tweet which I thought was brilliant, which was that, uh, okay, so Apple have bought Beats for three billion dollars, but Elon Musk has made a reusable spacecraft for a fraction of three billion dollars. So, it, is it cheap? No, I don't think so. <laughs> cheap in relation to what? Well, the, the point that was made, the, the point that was that was made, and I do take is that Beats is a is actually a profitable company with significant revenues who, for whatever reason, felt that they were willing to sell themselves for this sort of this sort of price, which 
because there are a lot of non-profitable companies you can buy for you would be required to pay a lot more for so for a company that actually makes money doing the thing it does there you know it's you know yeah i i i still don't really understand I really still don't understand the point of it, but then actually, as as we as we talk about all the Apple stories this week, maybe the whole point is the fact that Apple are going to cease to be the company we think we always think of them being, and in which case this kind of makes perfect sense. If you're gonna, you know, start to do other things, to become involved in other things, and you're gonna kind of divest into different brands and all that sort of stuff, then you know what, Beats is a profitable brand, which is, you know, which is kind of trendy at the moment. It's why not buy it? You know? mm -hmm. And it's, you know, track record has shown that Apple don't really care about audio quality. So, you know, yeah, not much that has to be thought about there either. <laughs> there we go. So, so it was done anyway. They, they bought Beats. Um, yeah, there you go. They, they were all very polite about it. I'm saying there was lots of little, you know. But yeah, Scott, can you... Can you tell me, Scott, when, when it was announced, was there a fanfare? Were, were, were there trumpets there doing like... Doo, 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 doo? I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. What, don't what, know. If, what if someone wanted to make such a fanfare, though, Adam? What if I really need to announce something that deserves a fanfare? How, how might I go about that? Well, I'll tell you what. There is a new sample library available by Spitfire, and it's called BML Trumpet Core. So there is one option for you. Awesome. <clears throat> Details it's, running in on, um, it's running on discount. It is on discount until 12th of June. Uh, 30 gig of 96K 24-bit audio samples. That's pretty cool. And when, when it says longs, what does that mean? I... I, I wasn't actually sure. So what I have done, and I'm in the process of trying to arrange, is actually an interview with the um, with with Spitfire because they um they they have a very kind of a very particular technique about how they record these sample libraries, and they're incredibly high quality. So mm. I thought it'd be interesting to get them in and you know have a chat have a chat with them. So I'm in the process of trying to sort that out. I haven't got too far yet, but I am hopeful that it could that it could happen. So you should re hold back your questions. Until we, uh, until we know if we're going to get the opportunity or not. Okay. Okay. So I've got a long list of questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll, I yeah. look forward to that then. Let's, let's hope this interview happens. Unlike, um, well, the, getting back to headphones and like the promise of future podcast items. Um, <laughs> never mind our podcast special about headphones. We have some new headphones from Beats. Which I mean, when we said lots of Apple this week, it's lots of Apple and lots of Beats. Yes. I am. Um, I decided to do a little bit of reading about Beats and kind of so I know a bit more what I'm talking about and you know like a lot of things people say about the audio quality and stuff. Looking at some of the statistics where people have measured the EQ response through them and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that caught my eye the most was that when the company was set up by Dr. Dre and friends, um, it was in response apparently to dismay at people not only that people were downloading their music illegally or without paying for it, but that, that they were then listening to it in a way that destroyed it. They were listening through such substandard devices and Apple headphones. Naff headphones that they actually set out to make product that 
would remedy that. Although I also thought that although you can down, so I kind of like extrapolated from that nuggets of information that although you can download someone's music in many different formats and copy digital media, no problem, to um, to pirate a pair of headphones would be a lot more difficult because it's a physical object and getting into the business of selling physical objects is um, a good move, I suppose. Anyway, that's my piece. We can move on to what the story was. Oh, no, well, I, I think you're also, you're also correct. An observation that I made is that, that I was making regarding this headphone, the headphone thing is that while beats are not particularly... I would suggest that Beats are not particularly great value for money or particularly great quality. They have nonetheless put us back into the circumstances where it is now socially acceptable to wander down the street with a pair of, maybe not as large as these, but nonetheless a pair of over-ear <laughs> sealed headphones. Well, um, you've got to be careful wearing those in the street, Scott, because you know you turn around and at least three people are going to be knocked over. So. Well, the, the, it's, I hope you don't take those with you when you're on the bus. No, I, I, I do not, actually. <laughs> I actually have a... Um, if, if one of you guys... Well, I'll carry on this and I'll show you the pair of headphones that I have for that task, which are entirely inappropriate as well, which is even more fun. But the point I'm trying to make is that Apple kind of took over the entire entire kind of mobile listening environment for a long time with the iPod and the in-ear bud, and the in-ear bud was always terrible. And... If, if what we're about to see is the in-ear bud vanish and be replaced by the slightly, but by the giant over the, you know, by Beats headphones, and that probably is an improvement in quality. It's not a, it's, mm. it's an improvement from terrible to bad, but it but is nonetheless an improvement. They won't replace the earbuds that come with iPhones, iPads, iPods, because those earbuds are a lot cheaper to make and also a lot smaller to package. So it'll always be like a, you have to buy these Beats headphones on top of the cruddy ones that come with the device. I suppose, I mean, you know, but where are Apple we... Apple guys are good at selling, aren't they, though? If you go to an Apple store, you're in an Apple store, they're really good at selling, like, they do the whole experience with, with you. You could imagine we get to a point where, you know, I know that they're saying the iPod is going to completely, is, is going to, people are talking about the iPod vanishing and going end of life or something like that. Well, here's a really neat feature you could put into put into the last generation iPod, right? You could put Bluetooth audio, put Bluetooth audio, put Bluetooth audio streaming into it and have it that you can listen to an iPod with Bluetooth audio streaming to a pair of Beats headphones. But does an iPod, an iPod Touch has got Bluetooth streaming in it already, hasn't it? Well, yeah, but what I mean is like the... The other ones. The other classes of iPod. That is the final, that, that is the final killer feature. It's, you know what, mm. well, rather than have to plug your headphones in, go for this, and you could even see... Maybe Beats incorporating some sort of iPod, you know, iPod remote control onto the headphones or something. Yeah, but they could always have done that. They could always have done that. I suppose when it comes to iPods, most people's uh, mobile music desire—that's not the right word, but whatever—is sated by the fact that their phone can play music and they can put tunes on their phone. And that's how I do it. I just have to make sure I get a phone with a big enough memory so I can put the music on there. So I can kind of see why the iPod is not really... It's not like the iPod has better converters or streams of music in a high, higher quality than is possible with an iPhone or something. The only benefit is that the big iPod has a much larger memory and is cheaper than an iPhone. So, you know, there'll be a class of people who will still want to use that and everyone else 
To be honest, I don't even see why the iPod Touch exists, uh, unless you want a touch, small touchscreen device that doesn't have a phone in it. Well, that's that's true. I'm saying I think the the thing that the iPod Touch does, which you're perhaps which I've always thought made it an interesting middle product is the fact that you, if you're somewhere for Wi-Fi hotspot, say in the middle of a city and just dropped into a cafe or something like that, then it's really easy to run like the podcasting client to pull down the latest episode of, say, the audio podcast, and then you'll be able to listen to it on the way home. So that's, mm-hmm. That was always the functionality that I've missed about my iPod Nano is the fact that when you're away, there's no way of getting new material on it. And the vast majority of material I listen to while I'm around and about is actually podcasts. And but the iPhone can the iPhone can do that, and your phone can probably do that. So yes, no, it can. You, so the iPod Nano is kind of made redundant. But you see, it's interesting because these discussions are kind of pulling out the reasons why I was so unconvinced by the whole Beats rumor. Because I thought to myself, if if this was like three years ago, then you really could see, I, I could really see how Apple could take a, a kind of brand of headphones like this and do a really heavy integration between here's your music player, here's your headphones, here's some like wireless control between the two of them. There's no wires between them. It's it's an entire, you know, as an entire thing, I could see that pitch. And it being like, and we're grabbing the music, the entire music market and making it, you know, and improving it on a little bit further. But as you said, Adam, that's just not the environment anymore. People, the vast majority of people are satisfied with their smartphone for that purpose. And well, as I said, there's no, there's no difference. The smartphone can, can do that. You don't need an iPod to, to stream music wirelessly over Bluetooth because your iPhone will do that. So, um, what I'm, what back to these headphones, Solo Two headphones. Uh, so you can get them in a, a number of different colours, um, but the thing that frustrates me the most about the link in the notes at theaudiopodcast.co.uk forward slash show forward slash 117 is there's no picture. The whole point, to me, the whole point of Beats headphones is that they look good. Um, so that they don't have a picture in their press release on the web is just... Whoa. <laughs> I just don't get that. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the quality of them, none of us are in a position to say yay or nay because I haven't heard Beats headphones properly. I, I don't know if you two have, but it's a, they, I, it's a style of music. The style of music I suppose they're aimed towards works better with the EQ curve that they put on the headphones or something. I've You know, I've seen comments that uh, people saying, I really like the way that, the Beats headphones make music sound bassier or this or that or whatever. So They've got a permanently on loudness button, basically. It's just uh, it boosts the low frequencies and the high frequencies in the same way that a loudness button, a hi-fi. Do they still make those? They, um, the way that they would do it. So, that, Yeah, I'm saying that's definitely the case. I, I have... Um... I have used a couple of pairs. Um, a lot of people know from my, my work. I have lots of students who buy the who have these kind of things. You know what I mean? That kind of classic first year. I've just got my loan student kind of thing buying something like this. Had to listen to those, and um, this way you get to find out lots of well, for people who don't know me particularly well, get to find out lots of weird weird facts about me. But one of my reference tracks that I listen to wherever I'm working in a new space and I'm unaware of it is um, all, is, um, all <laughs> the things she said by uh, uh, Tattoo. From the album 200 Kilometers in the Wrong Lane, there you go. It's a great track. But the reason I love, the reason I use that track is it has um, isolated elements in all the different frequencies. So there's this kind of opening bass section, which is like bum bum, which just does these opening kind of two notes. And um, I, I had this pair of headphones on, and it was so loud I had to like pull the headphones off my as it played those first two notes. 
Well, as long as so, as long as you taught the students that they shouldn't be mixing on those headphones, then that's fine. Well, that's it. I mean, if you like couple these headphones with mobile devices that have music making things on, so you you've got your Beats headphones on, you've got your eye thing, and you're playing with some sort of synth. You're making a nice like fat baseline as you think, and then you go home and plug the same device into a different set of speakers, and all of a sudden it's lost all its power because you were mixing into this extenuated bass. Mm-hmm. Now, I suggest, seeing as we are talking about headphones and we were talking about innovating with headphones, that we actually uh, jump ahead in the notes and we talk about a couple of patents that Apple have regarding headphones. Yeah, these were filed quite a while ago, but only published, accepted, whatever the technical term with patents is, um, after the Beats sale announcement. and. Yep, they are directly headphone related. And as with all patents, technology patents is such a simple little addition to the technology. And it's also incredibly obvious, which is to place, well, for one of the patents is an ear presence sensor. So to have either a mechanical or an optical or an other type of sensor inside the ear cups so that when it's on your head, the device is aware of that. And when you take it off of your head, knows you're not wearing them anymore, which means it can save battery power for things like noise reduction. You don't need to do noise reduction processing if they're not on your head. And extending from that, you can also pause the music and things like that when you're not wearing your headphones. Which is all very convenient, but it's like, it's fluff to me. It's like, yeah, but You You couldn't be more wrong here, Adam. You just couldn't. (laughs) That is an incredible... That that is an incredible in, incredible idea. So let me let me give you two two illustrations. Quite often, if I'm going somewhere, I pull. I'll be listening to music on my phone, and somebody I'll bump into somebody in the street that I know. And what I do is is I pull the I pull the headset out of the phone, and the phone stops playing, and then I can take an ear out and talk to the person. And once I'm finished talking to them, I plug my headphones back into my phone, and it just picks up exactly where it was and keeps on playing. Now yeah. I then have to put the ear back in. But if I could do that by just taking an ear out of my phone. Just taking an ear, like a, a headphone out, that would be really good. And, or you and, could have a remote control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're going to you're going to take the headphone off in any case, so why not have that be the action that triggers uh, the? I mean, like, yeah, sure. And I, the battery I don't saving think I ever use that. I would never use that as a reason to buy a pair of headphones, though, because for me, it's it's about really it's about how well that's the train, by the way, that's okay. coming past my window. Um. Um. For me, it's about sound quality and and noise cancellation. Yes, my I've got some nice AKGs with noise cancellation on them, and I see that as a very useful feature. But I, I'm not fussed, largely because it might work with an Apple device. But if you buy those headphones, it it might not work with an Android. It might not work with the the. It might not work with the the. It probably won't work with a Nano, with a an iPod Nano. It's it's a nice. It's a, ni- a nice idea. I'm, I'm Don't forget that Apple products that they pride them. It's not. It's no one. It, this is like a tiny piece that accumulates to a larger kind of like ooh factor mm-hmm. on these things. On its own, it's just a tiny little thing that makes one aspect of one situation easier, nicer, more enjoyable as a user. I don't know. On its own, so what? But the fact that it's been patented, so for several years you'll only get this particular type of interaction with Apple products and not with other people's, add it to all their other innovations, and that's that's the way that they 
That's all really innovation. Yeah, exactly. Innovations. And um, innovations in in quote marks because it, as you say, it's so simple and almost obvious that someone else could have come up with it, and it's hardly patentable. It's so. It's just a lot. It's just an extensive logic thing. It's like we've got this far. What happens if you if you were to integrate sensors with headphones? Oh, you could do this, and it's. Um, so they get the they get the patents because they were the first ones to to think of it, rather than. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm being cynical. You're right. I think you're both is. right, and I'm being cynical. So. Well, though, as as an I I have a pair of remote control head. I have a pair of radio headphones that I use in the house off a radio transmitter, and they know when you have the headphones on your head. So. Like, there's an immediate immediate response. Like if I take my headphones off, the the audio being played through them doesn't. There's nothing about the audio being played to them, but they stop playing the audio out of. So this. how has Apple got a a patent on this then? Well, I don't know. It must be the way they do it because. No, it, again, it's because like, the other way you could do it is say like you have a sensor up here, and when it when it tells that you know there's a weight on the sensor or something like that, it knows that you've got them on. So it. it Someone else can come up with the same thing and just do it differently, and it'll be fine. It's because the way the American patent system works is that you submit an application to a patent, and unless the individual who is dealing with your application can immediately think of something that invalidates your application, they grant you the they grant you it. You you just get your patent, and it's then after that moment that if somebody it it's then what happens is you have this patent which is essentially completely unproven and untested and if you choose to you could attempt to prosecute somebody for violate attempt to sue somebody for violating it and only at the point do you sue somebody for violating it do you discover does your patent actually become valuable in any sort of way because you either then get a judge to award you damages in which case your patent's now worth that money or else the judge will throw your patent out saying it's worth nothing and this is where the this is where like the EFF and people like this have been doing so much work because generally what happens is somebody, you know, a company will contact another company and say, you're violating this patent, we're going to charge you 50 quid for the privilege of it, and then you have to decide whether you want to spend thousands of pounds in court or pay somebody 50 yeah. quid to be done with it, and that's generally but then that's the, carried on. That's the thing, though, is, is it's like uh, this set of headphones that you have that exist already those could be used as prior art to basically tell Apple that the idea that they have isn't necessarily original, but it might be that their specific technical implementation of it is unique. So, yeah. um, The other thing to note with patents, particularly Apple patents, is that they come up a lot, but they don't always... They're not always actioned, so you'll see on like Cult of Mac or Apple Insider or whatever, um, whatever Apple rumors sites there are, that they'll mention all these patents. Oh wow, that's amazing! And actually, you then they just disappear and you never hear about them ever again. They're never actually formed into something. So the this might not ever happen. There are numerous websites that give open access to patent information, and through some of them, you can search by who's filed it so you can go if you follow through from here there's you can look at all of apple's recent patents or all of them through history and there's yeah they have a lot a lot a lot of patents all the time and increasingly more so um in the past few years they seem to be painting even more things so they're just 
they're just banking these things just in case they want to use them like as much as if they I hate that idea. To. I think I think personally the patent system should work that you've actually created the thing you can prove that it's it's individual and if you get the patent then you have to use that or otherwise it becomes invalid very quickly and becomes public domain so that that gets rid of like patent assertion entities and and people just sitting on banks of patents and not doing anything with them well, which is really frustrating it should be no i'm saying there is a limit to how long your patent is in effect for it just happens to be a substantial period of time especially when you consider it consider them in relation to say the tech industry where the entire entire tech industry faces a colossal refresh every 5 years so you know what I mean? It's there are these issues in terms of things like that because, say, an object like Lego is just becoming is just coming out of all of its protections now. Ooh. So you're going to be able to make your own Lego pretty soon, and you know, mega blocks, mega blocks. And and that's kind of made sense after you know it. It's probably a hundred years, I suspect, has been the amount of time that's passed by, or some something in that sort of range. And you know, it's still the case. But you can imagine, like, here, here's a way to declare a. Here's a topical one which we could maybe move on to in a minute. But here's a way of declare. Here's a way of uh, running a compiler for Objective C, and you know, in a hundred years' time, somebody else will be able to do the same thing. Well, that's completely, you know, it's the time frame is ridiculous because the odds of anybody writing Objective C in a hundred years' time is pretty much <laughs> zero. As we will talk about maybe in a moment soon. Let, let's fact, let's break. let's move on. I think to yeah. But let, let's move on to Vienna, though. I think we should uh, do some some audio news here. But um, Vienna right. have, are running software discounts for throughout the whole of June, so you can get fifteen percent off any of their software products, including Vienna Ensemble Pro Five, Vienna Instruments Pro, um, Vienna Mir Pro, uh, the Impulse libraries for Vienna Suite for Vienna Vienna Suite. And if you buy one of the software packages that contains eight software products, you'll receive a 10% discount plus an additional free single instrument as well. And that is for the entirety of this month. So there we go. There we go. That tasty. Is, uh, tasty. If you want to get your Vienna stuff, maybe now's the month to do it if you can. Yep. Uh, full details are online. I, I'm fairly certain that my summary of their remarks... The summary of their, their details are correct, but I am also acutely aware that the final sentence in our show notes, which is about the Vienna software package that contains eight software products that you'll receive a 10% discount plus one free single instrument, is a reduction of about a two paragraphs that they wrote. So I suspect <laughs> there, is a, there is a subtlety that I am missing. There may well be a subtlety that I've missed in that, but I don't think there is. But you, you should mean... always check the, uh, you know, well, you'd have to go to the manufacturer's site and check the details anyway, so there you go. But you, you, you're suggesting that the uh, the listener should go to theaudiopodcast.co.uk forward slash show forward slash 117 and go to the link that's in the show notes that's relating to the, that Vienna stuff. Okay. So now, do you think it's a WWWDC time? It, it is indeed. Before we go retrospective, let's just go current. So, um, there is an event today at WWDC which is entitled "What's New in Core Audio." Um, it isn't actually; it hasn't actually happened yet. But it, by the time people hear this feed, hear this in the feed today, it will have happened. Um, the description of the event is: "See what's new in Core Audio for iOS and OS X. Be introduced to powerful new APIs for managing audio buffers, files, and data formats. Learn how to incorporate views to facilitate switching between inter-app audio apps on iOS. Take an in-depth look at how 
how to tag audio units and utilize MIDI over Bluetooth LE. So that yeah. is the most relevant audio news from WWDC. <laughs> it's the existence of this event and the teasing of the fact that there are some new APIs and some new features coming. Now, it should be noted that um, WWDC is a developer conference. The main keynote that happened yesterday is press enabled, and there is usually a press summary event towards the end of the week. But right now, this event, is, the event that's happening entitled that described like that, is for developers only. And not only is for developers only, but to be at the event, you have to have also signed an NDA as well, which means that you're not allowed to talk about what you're told about at that event sort of stuff. So, so there we go. We're not likely to hear a lot more about that other than the fact there are some changes to core audio perhaps happening. And I have to be perfectly honest with you, I am terrified to hear that news because I'm not sure what core audio doesn't do that I would want it to do at the cost of this, any factor of stability to it. Because core audio is, in my opinion right now, absolutely awesome. So, is there anything you guys want it to do? Or? I'm, I could speculate on what it might include or why based on what's been said on that um, opening keynote. Well, one of the new things is to have integration across devices. I thought about this when you were talking about stuff earlier, um, with devices being key for different things. Being able to make phone calls from your laptop via your phone. I, I presume that they're using your the SIM card in your cell phone as the carrier for that telephone conversation, even though you use the software interface on your laptop. Is that yeah. likely? I don't that's, how I, that's how I would say it, that basically the front end, it, there's a continuous link between the computer and the phone, and they're just streaming audio backwards and forwards between. Which would suggest an extension and change to core audio, which is why I bring it up. Yeah, but you could probably just do that. To be honest, if if it's as reliable as AirPlay is, I wouldn't hold out much hope. So, there you go. Well, maybe they've come up with something that is more reliable, and that's why there's this new API and this new... That's API. what I'd like, is reliable, properly reliable AirPlay, which probably won't help me because my uh, network streaming player probably won't be compatible with it. So, there you go. So let's get into WWDC territory now, full-on. Uh, well, we, we can do. That. I was just gonna. I, I was just gonna jump in there and say that I have a Raspberry Pi. I have a Raspberry Pi which runs as an AirPlay, which, which runs as a as an AirPlay to receive audio from from devices, and it works perfectly fine actually. So um, oh, there you go. Maybe that's what you should do. Anyway, you are right though. So um, who um, I I, I watched it. Um, that's not true actually. I watched um Leo Laporte's uh, Twit. Uh, Twit.tv coverage of it, which is great because they show it and then offer sarcastic commentary to it at the same time. Which <laughs> I should have watched that. I would highly recommend to you because it is far more at the point where they go off into things that nobody cares about. They just start making jokes, which is far more entertaining than. So what, at the very beginning of the whole thing, then. <laughs> oh yeah, just just throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I followed the uh, Ars Technica live blog. And I had to switch it off because I was tweeting and I was just like, no. The, just the way, that, the way that Apple presents these things irritates me so much because they're so smug and, and so patronizing and almost a bit 
condescending as well. And I just, I, I just kind of wanted someone to get up and punch Tim Cook in the face and just say, "Come on, stop being so so annoying." I think Andrew's um, opinions are his own and not those of the audio podcast. Yes, that's true. That's true. Those are my opinions. Uh, and I felt that a lot of a lot of what was kind of discussed was a bit. Eh, I don't know. How about you, Sam? Did, um, did I read it? Scott's notes that were taken from someone's sarcastic commentary, and I read my brother's little um, blog post about these things. He's into tech, not the audio side, and programming and stuff. And that's it. I haven't. I didn't watch it. I've. This is probably a good idea. Barely aware okay. that it was happening, but. So. So there is a new, there is going to be a new release of OSX 10.10, called uh, Yosemite, I guess. Y- Yosemite. Y- y- Yosemite, which will be a free update in in the fall, a free update released in the fall. Um, Apple are making a big deal about the fact that all of their customers are running on the most recent version of their operating system, which, let's face it, isn't very difficult when you give it away for free and force them to do it. So, Do I not count? I'm on 10.6. Well, well, this is actually the funny bit, isn't it, is that the, they pretend... A couple of people remarked about this because they made a big deal about... about um, I think it's like 70% of people are running the most are running on Mavericks at the moment, but it is interesting that of the people who aren't running on Mavericks, all of the stats I've seen are very much like yourself and myself and a lot of um, a lot of different companies, like something like Pixel Corp would be an illustration here, are all running at kind of 10 point, are all running on 10.6.8 as well. So it is interesting how Apple have kind of like, I, I don't think they really talk about it or admit it, but in my opinion, Apple are definitely running a kind of three operating system environment at the moment, which is actual real power users who haven't been forced, who have managed to avoid moving are all sat on 10.6. We got the kind of standard consumer <coughs> who is being pushed along with the free version changes as they come. And then the iOS world who are, you know, are kind of slowly getting stranded onto their latest supported device, mm-hmm. but are nonetheless kind of generally sticking to the most recent update, which... 10, 10.6 is going to become Windows XP in about 10 years. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right, on. And uh, 20 points to either of you, if you can tell me what product Apple used the um, Yosemite name in 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 years gone past. (laughs) I'm not even trying to think of an answer, Adam. (laughs) Is this going to be a... I'm I'm just going to guess here. Is this going to be like like either an either kind of like an eMac or a Power Mac of like G4, G3 generation. Oh, you're close. You're close. That's my guess. I'm not having two guesses. So okay. I'm going for a follow-up guess, so if I'm close, you didn't take one. <laughs> if that was a direct clue, it wouldn't have helped me. <laughs> um, okay, so it was a version of the Power Mac G3 Blue and White that they released. Oh, come on. That's near enough. Yeah, you, you were very close. Like a Pokemon version. <laughs> you, you were very, you were very close. But yeah, they they had uh, two different versions. One was called Yosemite, and the other one was called Sawtooth. Um, and the Sawtooth version was the one you wanted. And I might be wrong, actually. The Sawtooth one might be a G4, but I remember them having two slightly different architectures for the the blue and white G3 Power Mac, which was a great computer in its time. It looked amazing. It was great. But uh, yeah, okay. So random fact gone. Let's get on with the uh, with the stuff. Like, for example, um, 
Oh wow! Now, I, now you can use iCloud like everyone's been using Dropbox for several years. So, <laughs> yay! At the um, same price as Google Drive as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which again, as you've been able to use for a, a couple of years. Like so the only was. problem, the the only problem with this story really is, do you trust Apple to have actually got it right this time? No. If every time I've used one of Apple's file syncing services, it's been a spectacular, um, you know, failure. Spectacular failure in every way. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm but, not. I'm not going anywhere near iCloud. Absolutely not. It's uh, yeah. Um, that's cool. Uh, Dr. Dre called and said hi. Yeah, that's relative. That that's relevant to us. But that, that was really all he did was call and say hi. Yeah, I wish he'd said something else. I wish he'd kind of made the keynote a little bit more colourful by, like, uh, but, but like he's in the middle of something really dodgy and he's going to actually tell everyone that. That would have been this amazing. Is, this is the development conference. When, like, maybe they're saving such jokes for new product releases and things like that. No, they're not, they're not going to go anywhere near a joke like that. Apple will not want to be tainted by but even if it's a joke and it's pulled off properly they're going to be like no way no way we've got families watching this though he did call from doc, uh, dr dre did call from a internal apple number which was part ah. of the subtlety of it i guess but it would have been great if he'd phoned from an android phone yes that would have been very funny <laughs> <laughs> or a windows phone that would have been cool Oh well, that would have been good. That would have been good. Yep. Um, um, iOS I, I eight was announced. Well, there, there was a in going back to ten point ten. There's been a kind of redesign of the i of the of the visuals, the UI. It could have been a lot worse, but I think most of the changes are kind of they're changing stuff because they can. Like, and aren't these all the kind of changes? But these are all the kind of changes that the main thing you're hoping for is that there is some way in system preferences of turning them all off. And there won't be because it's Apple and they they force you to use the computer the way they want you to. So, because what, uh, what's, so what's going to happen is you're you're going to get to the point where you 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 know the the OS feels the need to kind of slightly change the gradation of the kind of title bar of the window and then your GPU fan is going to spin on and go while it kind of deals with the color shading. And really what you're yeah. going to do is not do it at all. And there are lots of up, updates to Safari, which makes Safari look awful, even worse, because it, it's trying to make Safari more like Safari on the iPad. And oh, like it gets rid of the tab interface, and I don't know. It's just... So let's talk about um, iOS 8 now. So I, I, iOS, iOS 8 has arrived... Um... The, the phrase toxic health stew becomes famous now. What does that refer to? Why? <clears throat> this is the, uh, the, the, this was how the Android world was described as a toxic health stew. Yeah. Uh, and also, the way that they were basically taking the piss out of Android made me dislike Apple as well. It's like, guys, you've got an amazing platform. How about you just let the platform speak for itself rather than take direct shots at your competitor. You know. However, That's just cool, personal, personal thing. cool features. Um, if you're into enterprise stuff, which I guess actually, while it may seem ridiculous, this is actually something that might be relevant to some of our listeners. What you can now do is you can get shrink-wrapped Apple products 
um, Apple iOS product and have it with enterprise deployment support. So you can give it to a, give it to a client or you know supply it to an employee or a client. They turn it on and it will automatically run and install whatever apps and whatever configuration is required. So if you're if you're in a big media house and you want to supply your staff with you know iPads, but you want them to it to come with a copy of Cubasis or a couple other things like that, you can actually now get it set up to do that. So they will get it and press the get it, turn it on, and it will immediately start downloading and configuring the correct applications onto it with the correct settings ready to go. So that's and I know it sounds a little bit weird, but that was actually something that I was listening to and thinking for for a group of our listeners, that's actually a very relevant, long wanted, and now available kind of element. The other thing they did as well in addition to that is also there is now proper family sharing inside iTunes as well for purchases. So whereas the vast majority of people have just generally ran with one iTunes account logged into multiple computers, now you can actually have multiple iTunes accounts which are all linked via a credit card and a postal address and have shared content between them. But a really neat feature of this is if one of the shared accounts attempts to make a purchase, the the kind of parental device, for want of a better phrase, or the main device, will get a real-time alert that will say, do you authorize this purchase? That sounds pretty good in a kind of... Yeah. yeah, fair enough. And there are some a uh, bunch of other stuff. Now, what we've kind of... I bet they patented that, by the way. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe. But one thing we haven't talked about is probably, like, I thought it was actually a decent idea, which is continuity, which is this kind of link between OS X and iOS and being able to kind of work between them more seamlessly. And I thought, yeah, the, the phone call thing that we talked about earlier in the show was, I was like, okay, I like, that makes sense. That's a, that's a good use of the technology you know, you're going to have to have an iPhone, you're going to have to have a Mac to do it, but, um, yeah, that's a kind of, it's a way of not having to use Skype because you're on your computer and you can't be bothered to go and pick up your phone or something. I thought continuity was an interesting idea. I wonder if they're going to open up its workings so that third parties can use it themselves. So we'll see. We'll we, we did see a lot of things in terms of opening up um, iOS in particular. The Touch ID ID now has an API, so people like your your bank could use it to authenticate you now. Is that the the touch the thumb sensor? The thumb, yeah, the fingerprint reader on the on the power button on the on the device. That's okay. now that's now available and implemented in a on chip secure way rather than in software. So that's quite interesting. And um, they've also made a play into the kind of home automation world as well, which we could see lots of functionality coming there. They're really attempting to say, as everybody's got an iPhone, then you should really build your home automation kit to work with our standard on our iPhone. We're seeing Which isn't true. I'm, well, well, yes, precisely. I'm kind of pushing this on. One big thing they did do, though, was announce extent system-wide extensions for iOS, including um, custom keyboards. So you can now have any keyboard you want. But this is a way of having applications offer functionality to each other, which I suspect has... The reason for its implementation, I suspect, has been because of the success of things like AudioBus and the system-wide audio support that's been introduced into iOS with the idea of here's your, here's your thing and here's another application running inside it so you can get the additional processing. So mm. I thought that was quite interesting because that's something that in the audio world, in the audio use of iOS has existed for a while now, but Apple are actually now formally 
kind of enabling that sort of integration, that interaction and integration between applications on the device, which is quite... Well, they've probably also done it because Android, like things like custom keyboards, Android has done that for ages. And well, yeah. that's been one of the big... People to do it, yeah. But it, it's one, been one of the big reasons why you'd use Android over iOS. And they showed a keyboard, a new keyboard with a new uh, auto-predicting system, which basically looked exactly like the system that Android uses. So remember, people, Apple do steal ideas from uh, from Android as well. Although the Apple one's context sensitive, so it knows when you're at work or it knows when you're chatting with a friend or and changes the there and it'll be a nightmare. It'll be a living nightmare. There we I'm, go. I'm I'm sure of it. There was no new hardware announcements because it's a developer conference, but there was the announcement of a new programming language called Swift. Because that's what everyone needs, isn't it? A new programming language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the less significant, that doesn't happen very often, and new programming languages do come along, and if they didn't, we'd still be programming in BASIC and Fortran. And so. uh, yes, but, I mean, really, I think it's been, it's been released to try and get around the problems of Objective C, which has been going down a little road into a dead end, it seems almost. So I think that's why it exists. It's slightly simpler. It's a bit more script-like. It's a bit more like JavaScript in that you don't have to necessarily say this is a type of object or this is an int or this is a float or whatever. So it's a bit easier to program in, it looks like. but yeah, I mean, you can still use Objective C if you're creating iOS applications. So you don't have to start using this new programming language, which is called and, Swift. And it said that Objective C and Swift code can coexist happily together um, with, with an understanding between each other. So, and I think while I'm saying we shouldn't, WWDC is a developer conference, so it's entirely appropriate for we're going to support a new. Mm. Here's a new software well, language that we're planning on supporting at the very highest level. It's entirely appropriate that it gets that announcement gets made there. But it should be noted that most large companies have had great success using those different kind of program using environments like that. So you know Microsoft it did incredibly well at entrenching itself using .NET. That was it had a real triumph in the enterprise world by by releasing .NET and implementing .NET in the way it did. And this is just Apple essentially learning those me- messages again. Because the key thing is, if you write something, it's going like you can see from the documentation, it's going to be much quicker and easier to write something in Swift than it is going to be to write it in anything else. Once you've written it in Swift, you'll have to rewrite it for any other platform. At which mm-hmm. point, why not just go for the Apple exclusive and be done? Like, because because your market people who develop want to be able to target other markets too. They want to go for Android and they want to go for Windows Phone. To be honest, the difference between Objective-C and um, the Windows Phone development and Android development is wide enough anyway. The problem with Swift is that you have to learn a new programming language and it's it's got some different concepts in it. It's not ma- I don't think it's majorly different. It still looks very C-like. But let's see how it, how it folds out um, or unfolds. Um, uh, to be honest, this is probably the most non-audio thing we've ever talked about for a long period of time. Yeah, but I guess by the same measure <laughs> that that session at WWDC we were talking about, you can imagine the vast majority of that content is actually going to be how do you you do audio in Swift? Yes. 
Yes. So, I mean, I think it's uh, it's appropriate for. Well, us. let's see. I don't know. It depends how how deep down they've got the API working. It might be that you can't use Swift straight away for that type of thing. So, maybe it'll explain that. Uh, anyway, I think we can call WWDC chat finished. Boom. Boom. Um, next week we might have an interesting other item to try and get more audio into the audio podcast. So let's see about that. I think let's move into the plunder, gentlemen. Plunder. Which is first checking the show notes because we did all that in reverse, so I need to scroll down. And the first one is the Studio Acoustics DIY story. Yes. Awesome. Um, I have a slight issue with this story. It's very nice. It's a very good article, but it makes a number of references to a breakout box, which if it were a magazine article, as it originally was, you would be able to find somewhere on the page, but does not appear to be reproduced within the web version. Ooh. So there are some like references to equations and things that are not here. But other than that, it's a good read about the different types of acoustic treatments that you may want to employ and build in a DIY way. Yes, and also that it's actually not too hard to make these things yourself. Um, it doesn't go into, I don't think it goes into detail about how you specifically make one of these things, like uh, go and get your 2 by 4 and nail it to this and then use glue and then put, fill it with biscuits and all this kind of stuff. But it does um, define the difference between base traps, diffusers, absorbers. Yeah, and when you'd use them and the general way that you construct them, what kind of materials you might need to, to use to get the desired effects for those things. So that's, that's a decent little read. Um, next one is a cakewalk. For, what, what, are you stopping me for something else? No, no, no. I was, I was just going to go into there. I was just going to say, Adam, you'd spoken about microphone positioning in terms of getting good vocal parts, <laughs> and Cakewalk have have just completed an entire month of blog posts about vocal recording technique. Ooh. Okay, I'm, I haven't actually looked at those, and I will have a look at those. Uh, any uh, gems that stick out? No, I, I believe Cakewalk makes some sort of um, door. Really. Yeah, I believe so. I'm scrolling down the list of these things that let's link to, and then one of them says Sonar X3 slash Melodyne. Um, I didn't re so Melodyne is the ceremony software. I didn't know that, that integrated with Sonar. Mm. Didn't we have that as a story a while ago? No, that, uh, Studio One. So. Studio oh. One is the DAW that I would associate with that. So this. But didn't I, we have I, one? I didn't we have one that said that Sonar was also implementing this lower-level interface for um, for plugins and stuff, or audio utilities? I can't remember. It's a bit hazy in the old brain. I shall endeavour to report back on that, I think. What's important about these blog posts, though, is they're probably DAW agnostic, so you can use them. It doesn't matter which... DAW use the information in these will translate because it's actually about recording vocals rather than a, a software thing. Yeah, very cool. And while we're talking about cross cross platformy and cross device sort of things, there was also uh, in May a MIDI hackathon. How about that? Pretty cool. Woo! Cool. And what's the outcome of this hackathon? Well, what they did was just have lots and lots of people doing lots and lots of different projects. 
So um, a lot of them are in Live or Max for Live, but there are stuff, there are projects and other sort of things there as well. And there, there was one which was an arpeggiator that ran between multiple computers inside Live, but using Max for Live to do the communication between them all. So I thought that was, you know, just a couple of, you know, just some ideas, you know, things to, you know, making the really obvious point that MIDI is a really good, well, actually, no, MIDI is a ubiquitous way of controlling things. Mm. But there, there wasn't one that used, uh, that, that allowed you to create a, an arpeggiator using biscuit tins? No. Because, of course, you're going to have loads of empty biscuit tins because you put all the biscuits in your acoustic d absorbers and these kinds of things. So they're going to be spare. Thought I'd throw that one in. <laughs> there we go. And You'll be glad that... to know, people, that we've come to the end of the plunder and therefore we've come to the end of a, a quite a long show. We're almost at one hour. Indeed, the end of this week. The end of this week's show, indeed. So, um, Adam, are we going to have a... Uh... Are you ready with your iRing interview for next week? Um, I will try to get that for next week, but I've just been a bit ooh, full on in the last week. So, Fair enough. Um, yes, I, I'm scheduled some time later in the week to really get into this thing. Excellent stuff. And next week we're also going to do the uh, we're going to do the How We podcast, are we? It's just a plan. Yeah, uh, for the other section. For the other yeah. section, talk about our audio gear setup for these recordings. Yeah. The, the idea came to me because I saw Sam's microphone and we were talking about Sam's microphone before the show started and I thought, you know, we could just do a quick profile of the kits that each of us uses to podcast with. Excellent stuff. So there we go. Loads of things next week, which will be show 118 next week. But this has been show 117 of the audio podcast, beaten by apples. I've, I've been Scott Hewitt and it's been awesome. I'm Samuel Freeman. See you next week. And I have been Adam Yerge, and it's been great being on air with you guys. Let's do it again next week. Bye.